You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. I'm preaching from Mark 4 today. Um, it's probably a story you've heard before, full disclosure. A story that's probably pretty familiar to you young and old. Uh, it's a story of the disciples in a boat with Jesus and a big storm comes. When I read it recently, there were a whole bunch of details that surprised me, that intrigued me. But the more that I reflected on it, the more I read it, there were really two things that the Spirit impressed upon me. First of all, I'm a man who is deeply afraid. Much more than I knew, much more than I would care to admit, every day I'm battling fear. And second, Jesus helps fearful people by fixing their eyes on him. This is not what we expect, but this is exactly what we need. When he is revealed to us, when we know him more, we are led into a trust that can supersede even the conditions that we're in. So we see, at last, that faith really does triumph over fear. Now this passage is a great story, it's an exciting story, it's a true story. But in its essence, this is an accord an account of some ordinary, fearful people who learn more about who Jesus is and how they can rely on him. So if, like me, you're an ordinary, fearful person, turn with me to Mark 4. Let's find out what happens here. It's the word of God for us today. Let's receive it and respond to it accordingly. It's in your bulletin. Mark 4, 35 through 41. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, your word is living and active. We ask you, because of your great promises, because of your your very character, by your spirit, work this word into us. 
Transform us into your image, Jesus. Make us more like you. Lord, help us to see you for who you are in greater light and greater clarity. Lord, change us as we behold you. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. We have a strange relationship with fear, don't we? We like to get near it as long as we're in control of the situation. It's kind of like putting a lion in a cage. If we have boundaries around it, if we feel like we've protected ourselves from danger, we kind of like to be afraid sometimes. We even pay for the experience of being afraid. We have big places dedicated to this, they're called amusement parks. It's amusing to us to strap ourselves into exposed cars hurling down an an 80 degree incline at over 70 miles an hour. Of course, the amusement depends on how secure you think you really are. I learned that the hard way as a kid at King's Dominion a long time ago. I was riding a roller coaster with my friend. This is an old school wooden rolling, wooden wooden rolling roller coaster. (laughs) The kind with the lap belt. There's no shoulder harness, just the lap belt. You probably know which one I'm talking about. One day, while we were riding it, we rode it over and over and over, the lap bar came loose, right as we were going up the hill. Now, I don't know how loose it really was, but it felt very loose to us. We were like moving at the whole distance. We were like screaming down at people to stop the ride. Let me tell you, that one ride was a completely different experience. It was a categorical difference than every other time I'd ridden it and every time after that. It was no longer screams of, Yeehaw, this is so much fun. And more screams of, ah! (laughs) We thought something was going to happen to us. The whole experience had been changed because we were no longer in control. The same thing happened to the disciples that day. They were on the Sea of Galilee. This is a really large lake. It sits like a bowl, surrounded by mountains and hills all around it. From any point in the shore, you can see the other side. It's not that big. It's about as big, actually, almost exactly the same size as the city of Richmond. Now, these disciples had been on the Sea of Galilee many, many, many times. Many more times than I rode on that ride at King's Dominion. Several several of these guys were experienced fishermen. Many were from this area. They were from Galilee. They knew this lake. They had been out on it many times. Imagine a native Richmonder who had worked as a paperboy in high school, worked for DoorDash in their 20s, now getting a group in their car to drive around the city. They know where they're going. They know the conditions. They don't need any GPS. Have you ever been in a car with someone like this? They just start driving, and you're like, do you, do you need the GPS? No, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. That's the disciples on this lake. They knew the routes to go, they knew the conditions. They might not have known how the geography caused certain weather patterns, but they knew that sudden violent storms happened on this sea. It's a regular occurrence. So this storm must have been a real doozy because these seasoned fishermen, these men of the sea, they are completely terrified. They're beside themselves. You know the weather is bad when the locals get scared. Jesus describes them in verse 41 as delos, which means cowardly, timid. 
The wind is howling, the waves are breaking, the boat is filling up with water. Rembrandt imagined this moment in one of his paintings. Some of them are trying to pull in the sails, some of them are just, are just holding on to the riggings, others are paddling, one guy's leaning over, vomiting. Some are just hunched over in shock, staring off into space. And Jesus is asleep. You ever been in a group where one person's not pulling their weight? It's kind of irritating, isn't it? So they go wake Jesus up, but not to stop the storm. Did you notice that at the end of the story? They were shocked that Jesus could stop the storm. So that, that must not have been why they were waking him, right? They went for some other reason. Evidently, they were waking him up to be some kind of ordinary help to what they were doing. Jesus, bail out some water. Grab an oar, do something. They wanted him to respond like they were, with desperation, with alarm. We're in a panic. Why aren't you panicking too? Don't you get it? Don't you care? Sometimes I'm kind of an emotional person. I'll be talking to my wife about something and I'll be emotional about it. And sometimes she's not mirroring my emotion back to me. And I'm like, don't you see how important this is? Wake up. Don't you care like I care? Fear controls us. These men are doing and saying things they wouldn't normally do or say because they're afraid. The fear is controlling them. But you don't have to be out on a boat, out at sea, to be afraid, do you? We know that all too well. We see so many threats to our well-being, so many outcomes we want to avoid. Many times we have fears that are more subtle, they're more constant, they're more hidden than we even realize. We're afraid of loneliness. We fear failure and rejection. We're afraid of being insignificant, of being mediocre. We're afraid of losing people. We're afraid of violence. We fear hardship and suffering. We fear condemnation. These fears make us feel like we're in a tiny boat in the middle of a storm. That's why these hidden fears control us so much. Sometimes you don't even realize that you're afraid until you do something in reaction to it. I was with a, a small group recently sharing about someone in my life that I felt convicted by the Holy Spirit about how I had been treating them. As I was talking about it, I surprised myself when I said, I think I do this because I'm afraid of this. I was taken aback by what I had just said. Did I really just say I was doing it because I was afraid? I hadn't even thought about that. Fear controls us, and faith breaks that control. That's what we see here in this passage. Jesus makes it plain for the disciples, and he makes it plain for us. 
Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Faith is the antidote to fear. And like I said at the start, Jesus in this episode, he addresses the disciples' fear by revealing himself further to them. He wants them to see, them, to see himself for more than they did when they started the journey. Here's what they learned about Jesus that evening. The first thing is that they learned that they could trust his power. When the the disciples woke Jesus, they wanted him to do something, right? I already mentioned this. They weren't expecting him to do what he did. To their complete shock, he subdues the storm. And the way he did it stands out. The text says that he rebuked the wind. Jesus didn't ask the wind nicely to settle down. He wasn't polite. He reprimanded that that wind with strong disapproval. He is scolding it. He He is admonishing that wind for its behavior. And then he speaks to the sea using two imperative verbs. They get translated peace, be still. The first is active and the second is passive. Both have roughly the same meaning, but here's what it means. Sit down and be quiet to the wind, to the sea. Now, like a lot of parents, I've chaperoned a few field trips in my day. Anytime 30 to 40 elementary age kids get together, there's only one direction that the energy level goes. It goes up, and then the energy level goes up, and it goes up from there. Before you know it, even the kids who are ordinarily very quiet are yelling their heads off. Sometimes bad decisions start happening around you. At these points, I've remarked to other parents on field trips, you know, they outnumber us right now. If they decided to just mutiny right now, it's all over for us. Right when you think the walls are going to fall down, a teacher, it's almost always a teacher, will speak and rebuke the chaos and regain control of the situation. And you know you've just witnessed authority because those kids listen. That's exactly the impression left on the disciples in this moment. This man that we called teacher just a a second ago, he told the storm to sit down and shut up and it listened to him. They might recognize that this is how he spoke to the evil spirit in Capernaum just a few days or weeks earlier. They might remember, this is how he rebuked the fever that was in Peter's mother-in-law just a little bit ago. It's the same language. They're adding things up. Jesus has authority over evil spirits. He has authority over sickness. And now I guess he has authority over nature. But there's another reason why they marvel out loud about this. To the people in the place that they were in, In that day and age, in that time, open waters were ominous, threatening. They were a place of dangerous power. Those were the deeps. They were mysterious, especially vast waters like the Mediterranean. Control over this domain was something that only only God possessed. That's That's what they thought, and rightly so. Psalm 107 says this, they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet. 
and he brought them to their desired haven. These disciples were born and raised going to synagogue. These words of the psalmist were probably ringing in their heads right now. They were thinking about this. They saw the scope of Jesus' power and they said, who then is this? This is something that only God could do. The second thing they see is that they can trust his presence. They can trust his presence. The disciples didn't find it all that meaningful, all that important that Jesus was with them in the boat unless he got up and did something. He's no good to them asleep. They would only feel assured if they saw some activity from him. Jesus, bail some water, paddle harder. Act in overdrive with some urgency, like us. Then we'll, then we'll know that you're trustworthy. Now, don't we react in the same way? What good is a miracle working God, we say, unless he's working some miracle in my life right now? Unless I see it happening, God, where are you? This unmet longing for marriage, this spouse that won't change, this chronic illness, this futility of work, this persistent struggle to pay my bills, this loss of community, this sense of foreboding and threat that I feel all the time, this estrangement between my family. God, wake up, do something. What the disciples needed to take hold of, what we need to take hold of today, is, that the, the, is the reality of this. Jesus being with them is a miracle. Jesus drawing close to them is a miracle of grace and mercy. That's what it is when a holy God draws near to people like us, to ordinary sinners. It's a miracle of grace and mercy. This presence of God with us is of enduring value. It always matters. Five times in the Old Testament, God, God tells his people, fear not, for I am with you. The deliverance that would follow, and it would follow, was already guaranteed by his gracious presence with them. That's why he calls them to not fear with just the simple reminder that he's with them. That's what ensures their survival. That's what ensures their blessing. That's what ensures their stability. Moses recognized this. He said to God, is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And this is what Jesus was telling his disciples. He didn't send them off in the boat. Good luck out there. If a storm comes along, I'll see it from the shore. I'll quiet it from there. He's with them in the boat. He's telling them something that he will promise later. I will never leave you or forsake you. Faith means trusting that his presence ensures our security rather than judging his care with our eyes based on how much we see him at work. And you might be saying, Joel, are you saying that we should trust that he can do something, that he has the power, and that we should trust him even when we don't see that power on display in our lives? I guess that is what I'm saying. I'm saying we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't always see 
the things that are happening, but his presence with us is a miracle of his grace. It proves to us that he will continue and he will finish what he started in us. And look at the kind of presence that Jesus brings here. He was awoken to find everything in uproar around him. A howling storm, frantic disciples, chaos outside the boat, chaos inside the boat, and full of accusations are these disciples right now. Harsh, disrespectful accusations. He harshly rebukes the wind and the sea, and then he turns to the disciples, and what does he say? How does he respond to them? Not in the same way that he responds to the wind and the sea. Not in the same tone at all. Yes, he gives them a critique. Yes, he calls them out. Yes, he wants to see them grow, but it is not given with the same tone at all that he commanded the wind and the sea, even though he could have. He is gentle with them because he loves them, because he knows that they're in a hard place. He knows how deep their fears are. He is patient, and he loves them. This is the tender mercy of the Son of God to his people. Aren't you glad to have a Savior like this? Aren't you glad that he doesn't speak to you like the wind and the sea? He knows that our faith is often weak and our fears are strong, but he's patient with you. He is kind. People of God, he is kind and tender with you. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. We can come to him with our fears. The last thing is this. They can trust Jesus with his purpose. They can trust Jesus with his purpose. When I was a kid, I really liked to read choose-your-own-adventure books. I don't know if these things are still a thing. Kids, are they still a thing? Are they still in the library, choose-your-own-adventure books? I'm seeing a little bit of response. You know, this is the book where the story changes based on your decisions, where you'd flip through the book to find the ending that you want, and then you'd backtrack to find out all the decisions you have to make to get there. You know, those are the ones. I think that's how we view life, right? We're the main character. Did you ever notice that about those books? You're the main character in those books. That's how we view life. I'm the main character, and I choose my own adventure. We are the autonomous, rugged individuals who chart our own course, captain our own ship. If God has a role to play, I guess he can look over the map, kind of give some suggestions from time to time. Or better yet, I, I have a guide. Why don't you get up in the crow's nest? You tell me when there's danger on the horizon, and then, and then, and, you know, then I'll do something about it. Why were they out on this sea in the boat to begin with? Did you see that back in verse 35? Rather, why were they there instead of journeying by foot? It wouldn't have been that long. Why did Jesus send them out in the evening? That's when the worst storms happen on the Sea of Galilee. Because Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. This adventure took place at Jesus' initiative. He brought them out to sea before the storm came so that he could change them. Now something ironic here, 
is that they had more fear after the storm was, was calmed than before. Did you notice that? Verse 41, and they were filled with great fear. This is actually a smoothing of what would be a really awkward translation from the Greek. There's no verb here that means filled with that's in the Greek. A literal translation would be, and they were fearful with great fear. But this is not the same word that was translated afraid or cowardly in verse 40. That, that word was delos. This word is something different. This word in verse 41 is for when someone encounters some great power, including when they encounter God. This is the same word that we're exhorted to when we're called to have the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of all wisdom. This is the same word that Acts 9 says the church was described as walking in fear of the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that the disciples were no longer afraid, no longer cowardly at all, that their fear had been, it was, had, was just 100% transformed. I'm not saying that. But here's what we can say that's undoubtedly true. Now their fear is directed at Jesus instead of the storm. And now their fear has a different quality to it. It has a quality of reverence and awe instead of terror. Christ has shown that he is greater than all their troubles. He addresses our anxieties with himself. Now the disciples were changed on this boat trip, but there was more of Jesus' work ahead. He would soon reveal himself even more fully they would see his power, they would enjoy his presence, and they would understand his purpose to an even greater depth. They would hear soon the promise of new spiritual life to all who believed in him. They would watch him accomplish reconciliation through his death, fulfilling prophecy by taking on the punishment in place of sinners. They would see him resurrected before their very eyes, the victorious one who had conquered death. And they would witness him give the Spirit generously to people of many nations and languages and tongues from far across the known world, calling them to himself, creating a new collection of people who had been united to him by faith. They would see all of these things. They would hear all of these things. I wonder, did they ever look back on this boat trip, the raging storm, and their terrified accusation? one of the most ironic things ever said to Jesus. Do you not care that we're perishing? Yes, he does care. Yes, he does. We know that he cares not only by what he said, but by what he did. He knew that we were perishing and he stepped in and offered himself in our place so that we could live. Listen to me, if you are in Christ, if you're united to him by repentance and faith, your hope is secure and your future is certain. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let's pray. Lord, it is so hard not to accuse you 
because of things happening around us, things happening inside us. We're still so doubtful. We're so afraid, God. We're terrified by things that we can't control. Lord Jesus, by your spirit, will you please direct our attention to you? Continue the work that you've begun in us. Please, Lord, we need to see more of you. We need eyes of faith. We need legs of faith. Lord, help us to follow you. Lord, we know that you did much, much mightier things than calm the sea. We are overwhelmingly grateful. We do not deserve the sacrifice, the redemption, the new life that you have given to us through through your death and your resurrection. We don't deserve it, Lord, but we need it. Help us to follow you, Lord. Help us to turn our fears over to you. Help us to look to you. And please, Lord, change us more and more from fearful, cowardly people to people who are in just awestruck in your presence. Lord, help us to believe. And Lord, help our unbelief. We love you, Lord. Thank you for never, ever breaking a bruised wick or quenching out a smoldering wick because that's who we are. Lord, help us today. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.